Hello. Welcome back. It's been a little while since I've done a live. Today I'm sharing some codage, some information about fear and about rebirth. But more than just that, I'm going to weave a whole story here, a whole collective of information that will hopefully activate some things in you. Hello. Lovely. <laughs> so I might just wait a couple of minutes, maybe a couple 30 seconds to see if anybody else wants to join. And uh, hopefully this activates something in you, some, some wisdom or knowledge that may be laying dormant within your own system, within your own DNA around fear, as it's a very common and heavy theme over the last couple of years. And if nobody else um, joins here in the next minute or so, I'll just go ahead. Sometimes the replays are more active. But I appreciate taking my time. Hello. Just wait another minute or so. And if you're watching the replay, just scrub on through. It's the beautiful part about technology. We can just skip the parts that we don't want to watch. I find mornings are challenging sometimes for people to get on here. I think a lot of people, I have a lot of friends from Europe, might be sleeping right now. So I'm just going to go ahead then and get started and people will filter in, I guess, wherever they're meant to find this, whatever part they're meant to hear. Hello. So I'm talking about fear today. First of all, as many of us have been very aware of, fear has been a theme in the collective consciousness for 2020, specifically, and carrying over into 2021 as well. But what I want to talk about is how that fear is really an indicator light. There's a, there's a lot there's a whole story that I'm going to weave here. It's a lot of pieces to tie together. So first of all, when people talk about fear, they think about fight or flight a lot of the times. They think about, you know, maybe you've heard people say things like, well, our system has been evolutionarily designed and adapted to handle and deal with stressors like being chased by a tiger. 
And so our system applies that same adaptation to what's currently happening within our society. So let's say that's your job, that's your raising your children, that's that may be running your system, your fight or flight system may be running on overdrive for situations that seemingly feel like, okay, well, it seems like my body is giving me the signals that I'm being chased by a tiger right now, when in reality, I'm physically safe. So some of that has changed, I think, over the last year or so, because many people don't feel safe physically within the collective, within the regulations and the different ways that they're treated within society. Think about somebody who goes outside and interacts with mainstream society who doesn't have the same viewpoint. You can feel like an outsider. You can feel like you're disconnected from other people, which can kick the system into fight or flight or freeze even, because we're social creatures. We are group species. We rely on our interdependence with other human beings. Not only that, but many of us have underlying traumas around rejection or abandonment, which are actually getting reactivated within our system. So going back to what I was saying about how You know, we tend to just think about this as, okay, this is our innate system. It was evolved and adapted to be chased by a tiger, and that's it's giving us that signal. But it's not just that. Our fear is learned. It's learned generationally. It exists in our DNA. It exists from the way that you were formed within your mother. It's learned by the social environment that you were developed in. So not only, basically, the innate system for being chased by a tiger is what's sort of bolstering up or the legs that are holding this other piece, which is this learned social fear that we have. And as you can tell, it's it's shifting and it's evolving and we're being told to carry more fear, to be more afraid. And what does that what does that do for the organism? It's very damaging for the organism. There's a lot of studies, a lot of studies that you can find on the effects of cortisol, on the effects of adrenaline, what that can do to the body, the ways that it can start to break down the tissues. So, you know, who does it really benefit for your system to be chronically in a state of fear? Because it's not benefiting you. What does it do when a person is in a state of fear? It can cause them to be more easily controlled by other people. Because you're looking for a solution or an answer. Fear has a way of bringing us out of our center. Out of our relationship with ourselves, and we begin to defer, we're scanning, 
the same way that we would scan for an exit. So this person says, is fear is good or bad? It's a great question. It's neither. Fear is neutral. Let me explain that a little bit before I go any farther into what I was going to say. Fear is an indicator light like any emotion within our system. And it's usually... Fear can happen two ways and emotions can happen two ways. It either happens as a nervous system response to something. So let's say I see a car coming my way that's about to hit me. I don't even have a second to think. My body simply reacts and goes into that dumping, that chemical dumping. My nervous system activates as a as a very primitive brain way of handling a situation. And then another way that it can happen is through thoughts. So the way that we're programmed, the way that we're taught to think, the beliefs that we have, and those thoughts then create a reaction within the system because let's say the thought is, I'm, I'm going to be homeless. I'm not going to have money to pay for my bills. So that belief and that thought then creates the emotion. So either way, fear itself is it is not good or bad, but it's what we do with the information. Emotions are like information packets that your system is giving you. And what you do with that information packet depends on I guess how beneficial or detrimental that thing ends up being to you because whether an emotion is detrimental or beneficial to you has to do with your capacity to integrate that information packet and then do something with that. So many of us have, going back to what I was saying, many of us have these learned fears that we develop either through social programming, through our social family structure, or the society at large, or through our own learned experiences, which are, of course, embedded into the society itself. And then those fears are what get reactivated. So it basically is something that's laying dormant within your system that's been unprocessed, whether that be an experience that lays dormant within your system, something that caused you to have fear that never got resolved, you were never able to fully, completely work through that thing. There may be incomplete responses within the nervous system of wanting to flee or fight. So when these things get reactivated we basically have an overlay that that happens on the present moment. And then we're projecting what we already know, what we believe to be true about the worst case scenario because, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, no one is afraid of the unknown. Hey, No one is afraid of the unknown. They are afraid of what they are projecting into the unknown based on their previous experiences and beliefs. 
and it's typically a worst case scenario. So when we talk about this, we have to look at both the nervous system and the aspect within a person that may be a protector because we have protector personalities that, you know, I've seen this within almost everybody, including myself, that they're the, they're the ones who give us the worst case scenarios. And the problem is that people overly identify with that aspect of their person. They think that they are that. And then they get sucked into the thought form of whatever this future worst case scenario is instead of understanding that this part within your psyche is a tool. But you wouldn't use that tool to tell you the future. You would use that tool to give you insight into what could happen so that you can prevent that from happening. But instead, people just think that that's like an eight ball, like a magic eight ball that's telling them what is going to happen. Instead of seeing that it's simply predicting probabilities and then you have the capacity to be the person who is leading the timelines in your life. So that feels really important. I'm just going to slow that down and reiterate that one more time before I move on. When we use the parts of us, or better said, when the parts of us use us, when they are driving the bus, undifferentiated within our system, we don't identify ourselves as being different from that. We don't recognize that that is an aspect within us that is a protector that's trying to keep us safe. By using worst case scenarios to prevent them from happening, we take that as an oracle of truth. And then you can see how we would actually end up creating that timeline by taking that that tool that has the capacity to look at potentials and see that potential as truth. Now we've just decided that that is true and now we're gonna feed that timeline and then look, you've just created the very thing instead of allowing that tool to be a tool, which is what it is. So if you've struggled with feeling sucked in to certain things, practice something like parts work where you can learn to disidentify from these different aspects of yourself because these different aspects of yourself are not the totality of you. And when you can step back from them, you create what's called an aware ego process, which is not another self, it's not another part of you, it's simply a process by which you are now in relationship to that protector. And there is always a vulnerability underneath a primary self or a protector. So not only now, once you disidentify through this aware ego process, can you be in relationship to this protector self, but now you can be in relationship to and accurately see the vulnerability that created that protector. Because the vulnerability and the child parts are always what is creating the protector. They oftentimes forget that. And oftentimes the vulnerability or the fear itself, let's say in this case, feels held hostage by the protector. Not realizing that it created that itself. So I've seen within myself situations or times 
where I've gone in and found a vulnerability that was underneath a primary self. And this vulnerability was a child that was inside of a proverbial cage or glass box, feeling as if it was completely powerless and trapped, not realizing or remembering that it created the very mechanism that stands in front of it to keep it safe. And the other thing is that the, the because the, the psyche fragments, this is what happens, it splits. And the one, the protector who's standing in front, oftentimes has been doing its job for so long, let's say in this case, predicting worst case scenarios to protect this vulnerable child, that it doesn't even really have a relationship with the child's self anymore. It simply is carrying out a job. And a lot of times these protectors are very tired and actually need to be unburdened. And the way that you unburden them is through connecting to the vulnerability directly. Where is that vulnerability coming from? What does it need? And through that aware ego process, you can begin to reparent and re-relate to these selves and caretake them. So this person says, why people enjoy attention when they want solution? Realted social media fakeness. I'm going to stay on topic with this particular subject because that feels a little bit left field. Um... She says, heart is being opened so much. Yes, beautiful explanation. Yay. <laughs> okay, so there's a couple more things that I want to... There's there's a second part to this now. So we've got the first piece. I'm going to move into the second piece here. One of, the, <clears throat> one of the issues that I have with our society, one of the many issues that I have with our society... <laughs> is, and thank you, Jerry, for helping me come up with this word this morning because I could not fucking remember this word, which is pathologize. So people have a tendency because of the way that our mainstream mental health is set up, because of the way that psychology is taught and then carried out, we have a tendency to pathologize fear, chronic fear and anxiety that lives in people's bodies. We pathologize it as anxiety disorders, panic attack disorder, how many other things, phobias, all kinds of things. And the problem with that, the problem with pathologizing something like this is it starts to create a narrative within a person that this is simply something that's wrong with them. It's a chemical imbalance. It's something that you're going to have to spend the rest of your life medicating yourself, trying to resolve. Which is a problem. I'm not here to tell anybody whether they should take medication or not, but I can promise you that at some point, no matter what your journey with medication is, it's going to be important to deal with the root cause. 
you don't have a chemical. I'm just going to just do a little side tangent here about chemical imbalances when people talk about things like bipolar disorder, depression. The physical, the physiological aspects of a person are following the consciousness of a person. It's not the other way around. But people don't understand that we are consciousness. People don't understand that we're energy beings. So they try to treat the physical instead of reverse engineering, which is what we need to be doing. We need to be reverse engineering because I can promise you that they've done scans on people and there are marked differences in brain development. There are marked differences in chemical um, availability, whether that be dopamine or serotonin, a number of of differences within the brain of a person who is bipolar and the brain of a person who is not. But why does the person have that difference? Well, what's interesting is that let's just say we're going to look at something like bipolar. We're taking a little bit of a side road here, but I just need to talk about this. We look at somebody like bipolar, the onset of it isn't until much later in life. So if you look at their brain prior, you may not even notice structural differences. What is happening is trauma. So whether that be fear or depression or bipolar disorder or, oh God, borderline personality disorder, any of these pathologies that we're diagnosing within people They are trauma responses and adaptations. So the chemicals and the physiology of the neurology is responding to the environment and shifting accordingly. We are neuroplastic beings, which means that we have the capacity to shift. If your brain could shift into that kind of an adaptation, that means that it has the capacity to shift out of that kind of an adaptation with the right circumstances and support and resolution with people who understand what is happening. But pathologizing everything and making it a disorder doesn't really do a whole lot of good in the long run. I know that for some people... Um, having a label, I can personally attest to this, having a label on something where you have not understood what has been going on with you for so long and you finally find a diagnosis and you're like, oh my God, it's, let's say, because this whole theme is about fear, let's say it's around anxiety and you say, oh my God, I have panic disorder, I have anxiety disorder, now suddenly I can take a breath and my life makes sense to me. But then how long does that relief actually last? Because now you, okay, so now what we've got is a cluster of symptoms. Because the reason why diagnosis exists and why we pathologize these things to begin with was originally so that therapists could actually communicate to each other in one word what was happening between patients. So let's say you have a psychologist and a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist is the one who's Um, giving the medication and the psychologist is maybe doing something basic like cognitive behavioral therapy 
it's the that the psychologist could say, okay, this person has borderline personality disorder instead of having to actually go through every single symptom. But that's a problem because it's pretty reductive and people within the label of borderline personality disorder, let's say, or the label of anxiety disorder, it presents differently. And then there's no questions like, well, what is your diet like? Are you having a lot of caffeine? Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of you recognize that there's issues within, <clears throat> there's issues within, you know, who's, who's prescribing anxiety medication? Your general doctor. A lot of the times, not even a psychiatrist, not that I would trust that really to begin with anyways, but you have just general medical doctors prescribing anxiety medication. They're not looking at your brain. So if you want to have the, the chemical argument with me, then I want to see some actual brain scans done. But they don't do that. They don't know what chemicals you're deficient in or whatever. So you're just doing a fucking science experiment. Not to mention, they're not asking you, what's your diet like? What's your home life like? What was your childhood like? They're just like, oh, okay, here's some Xanax. Because they want to make you a chemically dependent rat who is doled out and you can calcify your energy body and you can calcify your pineal gland and you can just be a good little slave for society and get Alzheimer's disease by the time you're 55. It's a real problem. The over-medication. I mean, specifically in America, you know that the United States, I believe the United States and New Zealand, don't quote me on New Zealand, the only countries that actually allow you to advertise pharmaceuticals on the, the general television because all the other countries in the world realize how dangerous that is. But I just want to say a little something about that, okay? And this was a conversation I had with somebody yesterday. We can blame all of these external things. We can blame the societal structure. We can blame the fact that we're all programmed into this. But at a certain point, we have to take responsibility for ourselves. We have to take responsibility for the fact that we're not discerning individuals. And you could say, well, Rowan, we're not discerning because we learn not to be discerning. And I agree with you. But I also grew up in the same society that everyone else did. So did you. So did you. So did everybody who's watching this. And yet there's people who manage to take self-responsibility for themselves, to take responsibility for their own health. So at a certain point, we also have to look at the other side of that, which is that many people who choose this, this way of going about resolving their issues, let's say specifically if we're going to talk about fear and anxiety... They're not wanting to take responsibility for themselves. They're still operating exclusively from a child aspect of themselves, which they may be totally unaware of that's in a victim program that says, I don't actually want to do the work. I don't actually want to go there and investigate because maybe they do have some tools and resources and they've just decided that it's easier for them to take a medication. And like I said, that's not my that's not my job to tell somebody what to do. But we all have to take responsibility for ourselves and for being discerning at a certain point. 
we can't just blame everything on the society at large. Um, says, it's so unfair. A lot of those treatments fail. It seems mostly like a money racketeering system instead of caring for the well-being of people. We can only make those excuses for so long. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that the treatments fail, and when they fail, that's when they end up in in my practice. That's when they end up in front of me, or in front of somebody like me. Because they're like, okay, I've fucking done everything, nothing's working, I'm sick, I'm unwell, now I'm addicted to pharmaceutical medication, now I have all these diagnoses underneath my belt, and I'm more lost than ever. And they really want some actual fucking healing. People see the advertisements and question themselves because of the way the ad shows day-to-day life and the seed is planted. They get, they then gaslight us through deceptive advertising. Ah, very good point. Thank you for adding that. Yeah, the advertisements themselves. Look at them. Very good point. It shows, like, it shows people jumping through fields of flowers like how could anybody expect themselves to be jumping through a field of flowers living in the goddamn matrix living in the fucking world that we're living i'm not saying that it's not possible to cultivate joy because it is but that's a little delusional and ridiculous that whole like fantasy because i know what you're talking about it's like you too can be free from depression and anxiety. You can be frolicking through the fields just like me. It's like, okay, but that's not real life. Like, But people just want to believe on some level that that's... Because <clears throat> that that, that's what they want. It's playing off of the fact that people are miserable. And they're like, wait, I could take a pill and feel like I'm floating through flowers all the time? It's not realistic. It's not realistic at all. Yeah. Interesting. Good point. All right. (sighs) Closing that chapter out. Last piece here. Rebirth. (laughs) Rebirth, rebirth, rebirth. Yesterday, I experienced fear, which is why I'm talking about this. And what it felt like was literally like I was giving birth. I've never given birth in my life, so I can't actually say that. (laughs) But as a female, that knowledge lives in my body. And what it felt like was, I can't do this. I can't fucking do this. I can't do it. I'm going to panic. I'm going to freak out. Ah, ah, ah. Could somebody else just do this for me? Can somebody, can I just like surrogate this process and just like give this fear baby to someone else to give birth to? Because I don't think I'm ready to give birth to it. What I want to say with this live is that when you experience fear, please know that you are on the brink of something you are about to step into 
some serious awareness, not only awareness, but you're about to step into a total rebirth. You're about to step into the potential and capacity to handle more than you've ever thought you were capable of handling. You are about to step into the integrity and authority in your own life in a way that you didn't even think was humanly possible. The same way that when a woman is about to give birth, and they don't think they can do it. Oh my God, I think it's gonna break me. I think I'm gonna split open. I don't think there's room. I don't think I can do it. And then, and then you fucking do it. And then you birth this, this new baby, this new life, this new potential, this new timeline that you didn't even think was possible. Wow, you're making room for more light. You're actualizing that out of the out of the dirt and the shadows of your own life. You are actualizing this this new timeline and little baby. Congratulations. <laughs> so when you feel fear and it feels like you just can't do it, and you're gripping on for dear life and it feels like you're going to snap and it's going to break you. Know that there is something really beautiful waiting for you on the other side of that. And please get support, you know. Every birth needs support. You need an emotional doula. <laughs> Whether that be your partners or your friends or your therapists. You don't have to give birth alone. And we can consider the fear to be the labor pains and the contractions. Because when we talk about birth and contractions, we're talking about expansion, which is on the other side. Because your body is expanding to make room for this new life. So with every contraction, there is a beautiful expansion waiting for you on the other side. So good. Delicious. Well, this was such a treat to share with everyone today. I appreciate you for being here. And I hope that you guys all have a wonderful day. This is like Cousin It. <laughs> Thank you for the explanation. Thanks for being here, Bunny. I love you. I love you. Love you, Holly. Um, oh, my spine's really cracking today. You guys have a wonderful day. Sending you all my love. May you be birthed anew.